Thank you for bringing the church into uh, this sanctuary for those that are gathered. For Crosspoint at home, thanks for bringing the church into your living room or wherever you happen to be watching. And Happy New Year to everybody. It's great to be able to gather uh, with you. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, if you were here in town and able to participate in our Christmas Eve service, it was a, a glorious night. Just so thankful for how God worked in and through that service and excited to kick off uh, the new year together um, as God would have it in his strategic calendar planning um, of the universe. Uh, he has put uh, New Year's Day on a Sunday. And so what a perfect way for us to be able to uh, spend time diving into God's word together and just focusing our hearts. I can't think of a better way to, to start the new year. And so uh, we are beginning a series this morning um, that is a good five or so years in the making. Um, it is a new series, and yet it's an old series. It's a series that over the last several years, we have returned to each January as a church. It's a series to help focus our hearts on what does Jesus, like what is what is Jesus' heartbeat for? What is it that he is all about? And how are we then to follow him if we're called to be disciples? And so there's this particular line in the Lord's Prayer where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so over the next few Sundays that we have together in the month of January, we're gonna spend time unpacking that phrase in particular, that particular line, all right? But this morning, I wanna zoom out just a little bit more, all right? Um, because it is the new year, and I imagine there's certain things that you are in a process, all right, of doing some evaluation. So you might look back on the last year, all right, and maybe you're completely happy, you're like, 2022? I dominated. I hit every one of my goals. In fact, I took on some extra goals because I just wasn't, you know, didn't, I just had extra space and bandwidth. Maybe that was you, all right? Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum that you're just like, 2022 couldn't be over soon enough. Let's flush that down the toilet. Let's have a reboot, whatever, right? Like, I don't know where you are on that continuum, but I do know this, that most of us, particularly in these times of year, right, there are things that kind of put us in this this rhythm of some pondering, some reflection. What are we celebrating? What are some things that we're planning in the, the new year? But I will put this before you. I both love and loathe this time of the year, all right? Um, and so I love it for the opportunity that it brings to, like, like I said, like think through new things and make some plans and consider how things have been. But there also is, loathe might be too strong of a word, but there is this part of me that is like, man, I got a million thoughts and a bunch of things, and I don't know where to focus, all right? So I want to pose this question to you this morning. Do you need help focusing? Don't come talk to me. I'm not your guy for that, all right? Uh, but, but I feel this tension very like, acutely, that I find myself with lots of thoughts and lots of ideas, um, and yet I'm like, Lord, I don't know if I should pursue this, all right? I think even in this past week, if I'm honest, just things that are like, we're kind of getting in between, like, all right, Christmas happened, and then this New Year's service is coming, and just like, Lord, what do I focus on? Do I rest? Do I work? Do I like go out? Do we, like what? Like even just the mundane details of life, I find myself just like, well, I'm like really overthinking a lot of things right now, all right? And so do you need help focusing? I would say this, I do. All right, And so this morning, as we look at this particular text, I hope it serves you well. I hope it helps you to focus. All I know is this. My heart needed this and needs this text that we're about to look at this morning. And it's the text of the totality of the Lord's Prayer. Because as we think through different practices and habits and things that occupy our time, 
I wanna to read to you a quote, all right? It's from a book called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. He's a philosophy professor up at Calvin College, all right? And in this, he talks about this fact that every single one of us is like a liturgical creature or being. Now, you might not have thought about yourself that way, but we all have, it simply means this. We have habits and practices, and there are things that shaped you and me in 2022. And some of those were things that we were intentional about, and some of those were just things that happened to us, and we didn't even pay attention, but suddenly we woke up one day and realized, oh, like, this is how I operate right now in the world, all right? Because all of us are being discipled every moment of every day. And so when we think about focus, what is it that we're focusing on? Who is actually discipling us? Is it the culture, right? Is it a particular news broadcast, right? Like, is it a particular person or is it Jesus himself? And so James Smith says this in his book, You Are What You Love. He says, our loves and longings are steered wrong, not because we've been hoodwinked by bad ideas, so often it's good things, right? But because we've been immersed in deformative liturgies, think about like habits, and not realized it. And as a result, we absorb a very different story about the telos, like the objective, the purpose of being human and the norms for flourishing. We start to live toward a rival understanding of the good life. Now listen, no one in 2022 woke up, none of us woke up one day and just said, I want to live for a, a, a rival version of the kingdom. I don't want to flourish, all right? I, don't, I want to have a deformative practice, right? None of us would say that, and yet these things just sort of happen. And before long, right, it's like just being out in the ocean with the, the tides and the currents, and suddenly you've drifted far away. And what does it look like to focus? And the Lord's Prayer is this incredible gift that Jesus gave to his disciples some 2,000 years ago, and it's a gift that we continue to be able to open, and it's a gift that speaks profoundly to right here and right now. And my prayer is that it would become this liturgical practice, this habit that gets inside of us, that literally gets into the very fiber of who we are, and that it so shapes our mindset that everything that we do becomes viewed through this lens of what we see in the Lord's Prayer. In fact, this past week, as I was studying and preparing for this and reading a couple different books and such, one commentator put it this way. He's like, I don't know that there's, as you dig into this and you peel back the layers, I don't know if there's anything that we encounter that is not somehow contained in the Lord's Prayer. Like it's big enough to hold everything, and yet it's simple enough that most of us probably have it committed to memory I guess many of you would, all right, that we could recite it. It can be said in just a matter of seconds, and yet it takes a lifetime to sort of embody this. And so I would encourage you, if you've got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Again, um, if you brought a Bible, you can turn there, app on your phone. You can also go to thisiscp.church and click the little footsteps icon in the lower right corner of your screen. And that'll bring up a thing called sermon notes. Uh, there are new pew Bibles. It's a new year. We thought, let's get people a font they can actually read, all right? Um, maybe that's just because I'm more sympathetic now that I'm wearing glasses. I'm like, you know those old Bibles? Like, they, the Bible was good. The font was terrible. I shouldn't say the Bible was terrible. That would, I, yeah, anyway, you get it. All right, so uh, Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Let me go ahead and, and read this, and then I want us to spend some time asking, how does this text shape our practices, our habits? How does it speak into what we should focus 
on. And so the context, again, is Jesus has been asked by his disciples, hey, how should we pray? And know this, he doesn't roll his eyes at them. He doesn't say, oh my goodness, really? After all I've taught you, really? Like, you, you don't even know how to pray? Like, I need to get a new group of guys, a new group of disciples. No, he kindly, generously, compassionately gives them these words. And friends, they are words that have been shaping the Christian community, the Christian church down through the ages. And if they, like I said, can get more into who we are individually and collectively, I mean, this is what we want to see just sort of like seeping out of us. So Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Pray then like this, Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then maybe you, if you know this, you you have it committed to memory, you might say, well, where's the part about, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That was never in the Bible to begin with, all right? That doesn't mean it's wrong or untrue, and it's a beautiful thing that we can pray. In fact, throughout this series, we will be praying the Lord's Prayer together, and we will include that portion of it. But just know this, that was added at a later date. It 100% reflects the truth of the scripture. It is fine to pray that, all right? But when Jesus originally spoke from everything we can gather from original manuscripts, that was not a portion that was included. It's literally like this sort of like a little doxology at the end. And it's beautiful. But I want to look at these verses here of Matthew 6, 9 to 13. And as we think about focusing, let me put this before you. There's a relational focus that we're going to see. There's a directional focus. And then there is a provisional focus. And if you want the Sunday school answer about what all of them fall under, all right, there is a Jesus focus, all right? And so if we're bookending this thing with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Our mission as a church is pointing our community to Jesus. Like, we need more of Jesus. And so it's the start of the new year. It's New Year's Day. We literally, I can't think of anything better than to just get into this. How does this prayer form us into a particular kind of people? So look with me at verse 9. There's a relational focus that's emphasized under this umbrella of a Jesus focus, all right? Verse nine says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, lest some of you get worried here for a moment, in these opening few slides, all right, as we go through, um, I'm gonna look at kind of one word at a time. If I did that for the whole prayer, this would be the world's longest sermon to start out the first uh, Sunday of the year. We're not doing that, but there are a couple of words I wanna zero in on, and then we'll take slightly larger sections. Our Father is how this prayer begins. I, for one, you may have contemplated and considered the word that precedes Father, and it is our. I just blow right past that, man. Like, our Father. Like, just get into the Father part, right? And just start praying that, and then what follows that. I have never stopped to consider that word, Now, again, maybe you've considered it. Maybe you've written a a doctoral dissertation on it. Maybe this is your jam, right? The word our. But in case that's not, let me share with you a bit of the things that I found so incredibly helpful this past week, even reading through a new resource on the Lord's Prayer. That was like, wow, there's so much beauty contained just in this word our. Because what Jesus is doing here is he's not saying, here's how to pray as an isolated, hyper-individualistic person. 
I hope you pray as an individual and you offer up your request to God and you go before him. That is a beautiful thing that is offered to us through what Jesus has achieved. But did you notice when Jesus has an opportunity to teach his disciples and now to teach us some couple thousand years later, he starts out by saying, here's how you pray. Pray is our. It means there's a community of people. There's a gathering. There's a unifying thing of what God is doing amongst his people. And it's not a sameness, all right? It's not a uniformity in the ourness, but there is a unity in the ourness. So let me read to you one quote. In his book, Liturgy in the Wilderness, DJ Moroda, and I'll reference this a few times. I would commend this book to you. as one that I read over the, the past week. And as he's working his way through the Lord's Prayer, this is what jumped off the, like, kind of off the page to me. It's like, wow, I don't think I've considered this. This statement here, this one word, our, would have been incredibly provocative and unsettling and disruptive to its original audience. And if we rightly see it, friends, it would be incredibly unsettling and disruptive in the most beautifully redemptive way possible for us to see it. All right? Think about the group that have gathered around Jesus. Some are zealots wanting to overthrow the Roman government, and some are sellout tax collectors working for the Roman government. Some are uneducated fishermen that have been about their father's business. They did not make it through the educational process. They are just out working their job. All of these people and then some Jesus calls and he gathers. It's this ragtag group that Jesus has assembled and says, let me teach you how to pray and let me speak into your life that you're an hour. Like we're in this together. This is incredibly beautiful and disruptive to what would have been the expectation. So DJ Morota says this way, when the disciples considered who all might be included in this hour, no doubt they squirmed. Could the hour include prodigal sons and elder brothers, tax collectors and prostitutes, Pharisees and Roman soldiers, rich young rulers and impoverished widows? What about in our current cultural moment? Could the list of deplorables read Christians of other denominations and tribes, liberals and conservatives, activists and pacifists, urbanites and country folk, people who listen to Nickelback? Can I get an amen? All right. Um, some of you won't get that joke, but that's okay. Millennials and boomers, right? Like it's all people that he's bringing together. This is how Jesus works. And so there's this relational focus. Let us not lose sight of the fact that this is our, not that it belongs to us, but we're part of this hour. Like Jesus is forming us into a particular kind of people. And that's what we need to focus in on. And then from there, we go to our father. And this word it just keeps getting more loaded, more provocative, more unsettling, more disruptive to the cultural norms. In fact, there are two things here that Moroto speaks of in his book that I think are two dominant idols, two things that we value and we should value, but we overvalue, and then they end up being idols, things that we make ultimate sacrifices for. So to say, Father, if you were to ask somebody, a couple thousand years ago, living in and around Judea, in and around it, the, like where Jesus was, right? And somebody came up to you and said, hey, who is your father? At one level, you might answer about, yes, your earthly father, person's home you were raised in. Yeah, his name's whatever. Like you'd fill in the blank about that. But 
the answer oftentimes that was posed of like, who is your father? There was a particular answer that needed to be given unless you were willing to die for giving a different answer. Because if you lived in that time and that place, it was Caesar that was the father of the empire. And so when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray and he says, call him father, yes, that means there's this access It means that we have this opportunity to be in relationship with the God of the universe, to know him intimately as father. All of that is sort of embedded in this. But don't miss how politically loaded this statement is. Because in that time and place, Caesar's the father of the empire. And to address anybody else as father, as ultimate, is then to do this work, this glorious gospel work of subverting the empire. Not because Jesus came to grab a hold of power, but rather he used power in counterintuitive and countercultural ways. He would empty himself of power to showcase what true strength looks like. And friends, one of the dominant idols of the culture back then, and one of the dominant idols of our culture now is this allure of power. There's an allure of political power. There's an allure that thinks if we get what we want, if my candidate wins, like that that somehow will, somehow will usher in human flourishing and all that is right and good in this world. And Jesus, when he teaches his disciples to pray and he teaches us to pray, is saying, that's not how it works. You should be engaged in the political process. You should care about these things. You should be a good citizen. But your ultimate citizenship is not here on earth. It is in heaven. And so you pray our Father. And it is this tangible way that day in and day out, as you would pray this, you would be reminded, Caesar's not Lord. Caesar's not your Father. There's a Father in heaven who loves and cares for you. And it begins to do this work on us as it gets into who we are, that there's this subversive reminder, oh, We're an hour, a misfit group of people that have different political beliefs and bents and opinions and voting patterns and all that, and God is bringing this group together because there's an ultimate king. But I said there's two. The other dominant idol, when we say, when we use this word father, there's also an allure of the perfect, close-knit nuclear family. And we should care deeply. Listen, we should care. If you have been blessed with with children, you should care deeply about your children, right? These are good things, right? You should care about your family, all of that. And yet, when we pray our Father, it's also this reminder that our ultimate allegiance isn't the nuclear family. The ultimate allegiance is to God as our Father. And so in a healthy, beautiful, subversive way, it reminds us again and again like where our identity lies. It's this reminder again of our. It's why Jesus, right, is confronted by his mother and brothers. Like, who are my mother and brother? That's an offensive statement, it seems. But he's saying, listen, There's something that God is doing even just through this broader family that we're all part of. And so, yes, we should care deeply. There's a huge opportunity within the nuclear family. And yet, we can at times elevate that to a place that's never meant to be. Pressure's off, friends. You don't have to have the perfect family. I don't have to have the perfect family. It doesn't exist. But God is building this family. So when we pray that. Now, we'll continue, all right? We'll start going more than just one word at a time. Our Father in heaven. 
Perhaps you hear this and you think, right, that that is God somehow far away, that he's distant, maybe this deistic sort of view of God that he wound up the clock of the universe and then he sort of stepped back. But that is not what this means. The heavenly realm is all around us. The heavenly realm, we just don't have eyes to see. It's not like it's just off there, like way, way far away, in the galaxy far away. That's not what it's talking about. In heaven means your heavenly father is close, but we don't always have eyes to see it. Our father in heaven, our father who is near. Think about what we just celebrated in this Christmas season, even this continuation on the church calendar that we're in this Christmas tide still. So you can still tell people Merry Christmas. There's a reason some of the decorations are still up because friends, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. It's all rolled in together. It's amazing, right? What Christmas reminds us is that God has come close. How fascinating that as Jesus is teaching them to pray that God, their heavenly father is near, God is also the one talking to them. It's like right here in the flesh. So he's in heaven and then he says, hallowed be your name. It's this reminder that every single person who has ever lived is a worshiper. We all hallow things. Now, that's not a word we tend to use a lot, right? I'm guessing that in most of your goals for 2023, you're not writing out, I will hallow this or that, right? But it's fascinating that that word, even as more modern translations have come along, and maybe we say thee and thou and thy less than maybe some older versions of the Lord's Prayer, that word's still in there because there's not a great cultural equivalent. There's not something that just captures the essence of it, but it's this idea of just this sincere devotion and reverence. It's a word that tries to encapsulate like, God, you are so holy other than I am. You're so transcendent. You're so different from me. And yet, holding intention, you're also near in heaven. Like you're right here with us to hallow the name. What are you worshiping? What are the things that you have an over-desire for? I can't help but think of the scene in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is getting ready to be commissioned for this work of mission that God's going to send him on. This is a famous passage in Isaiah 6. And he's like, here I am, send me, right? And it's incredibly beautiful. But what precedes that is an encounter that Isaiah has where he gets a vision of the Lord. I think this starts to get at the idea and the essence of hallowed be your name. Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 3 says it this way. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. And with two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another. And there's this chorus on repeat over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then they gather again and they're like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And again, they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Guess what? They've been doing that ever since. It's the most beautiful broken record ever, right? They're chanting this. They are crying out. It's literally this way of saying, it is perfection upon perfection upon perfection. We are here in the presence of God Almighty. Hallowed be his name. 
Friends, what would it look like if we were a church that was caught up in a right worship of our God? The Lord's Prayer is this invitation to embody that, to know that this is the God that you've been brought into relationship with. And it doesn't happen through your New Year's resolutions and your goals and objectives and all the things. It actually happens by no work of you or me at all, but a simple surrender. I love the way in this commentary, Ray Ortland, this beautiful, wonderful commentary on the book of Isaiah says it this way. It's a quote that I've come back to often. I want to read it to you here. He says this, nothing in light of Isaiah 6 is just ordinary. The whole earth is full of his glory. We keep trying, he says, though, to fill it with monuments to our own glory, kingdoms and businesses, hit songs, athletic victories, and other mechanisms of self-salvation. But the truth is better than all that. Created reality is a continuous explosion of the glory of God. In history is the drama of his grace awakening, awakening in us dead sinners eyes to see and taste to enjoy and courage to obey. The Lord's Prayer is an invitation. Hallowed be your name is an invitation into this life, the drama of his grace awakening us. And then he continues. One more quote. Do you realize that it is God's will to make this earth into an extension of his throne room in heaven? Do you realize that it is God's will for his kingdom of glory to come into your life and for his will to be done in you as it is done in heaven? Heaven is expanding, spreading in your direction. That is the meaning of your existence. If you will accept it and enter in, heaven is taking over. Yield. This prayer, this Lord's prayer, and what it's leading into in verse 10 is this reminder, friends. Our call is surrender. Our call is yield. Like heaven is expanding. It's moving toward you. God is doing his work. He is faithful. I don't know what 2022 brought for you, all right? But I know it wasn't perfect. But know this, you are part of the ongoing expansion of the heavenly realm, taking over this earthly realm to transform everything, including you and me. And so now, outside of then, they're built upon this relational focus of God our Father. There's a directional focus we see in verse 10. We read, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we will spend the next several weeks really unpacking this particular verse, not going to say a lot here, but I want to just highlight a couple of things. This idea, your kingdom come. Again, being mindful that there are rival versions of the kingdom, things that we try and make ultimate. But we want to see Jesus' kingdom come. In his book, again, Liturgy in the Wilderness, there's this helpful sort of imagery that that I found here. I'll put this up on, on the screen. But imagine, as you think about the kingdom, if somebody asked you to define, how do you explain the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? Well, I think there's some aspects of things that we might talk about. So picture one circle And it's like personal piety, meaning personal transformation, sanctification, growing in holiness, becoming more like Jesus. And we would absolutely say yes and amen to that, 100%. But the shadow side of that is we also might potentially just be so focused on ourselves that we sort of huddle and we stay away from this big bad world that's out there and we forget that we're also called to help join Jesus in the renewal of everything. 
So there's this other circle then as we think about the kingdom, and it's about the common good. It's about cultural transformation. It's about loving your neighbor. It's about loving those that are often overlooked by society and culture, the poor, the marginalized, moving toward the exile, like all of that. And so we have these two parts of the kingdom and what Jesus is communicating, and we'll see this as we get into the series further, but in particular in this prayer, those things both exist. And so if we picture it as a Venn diagram, these things are meant to come together. And in the place of overlap, yes, to personal piety and personal transformation, but also the kingdom is about this cultural transformation and you and I being agents of mission sent out to join Jesus in the renewal of all things, to bring what the Hebrew scriptures talk about as mishpat, a right ordering, to bring justice and mercy and righteousness. And in that space, friends, that's what Jesus is telling us to pray. Be part of the kingdom. He says, so your kingdom come and your will be done. Not my will, but God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is the right ordering. Heaven is where things are as God intends them to be. And the calling is to join him in praying that that would be done here. Now, that all sounds great if it wasn't for one little problem. It's that my will gets in the way and your will gets in the way. And so much of our time is spent building our little kingdoms, thinking that these things will satisfy. And Jesus is telling us again, yield, surrender. You're exhausted because you keep pushing against my will, thinking you've got to advance your kingdom. And so again, in his book, Liturgy in the Wilderness, I was reading through this and it was one of those Uh, Maybe you've had these moments like a redemptive two by four upside the head, right? It was one of those moments of God being like, hey, pay attention to this. I don't care if you preach this or you share it with other people, but like you need to wrestle with this. You need to think about this. You can't skip over this. And so just spending some time sort of just sitting in this and realizing, oh, like I tend to view things through this lens of in the name of God's kingdom advance, I want to see things go a particular way. And I can give all the right answers, but am I actually missing where God so often is at work? Hear this quote. He says it this way. You may have your attention so fixed on things going your way, according to your will, your kingdom, that you are unable to see that in the very midst of things not going your way or against your will, God is at work and his kingdom is emerging. And then this line in bold in particular, I mean, the whole thing just grabbed a hold of me, but this line in particular, one of the best places, DJ writes, for me to look for God's kingdom is where things are not working out the way I want them to. At least under those conditions, I can rest assured that the shadow of my own little empire has not eclipsed God's. I do not naturally look at the places where things are not working and think, oh, I wonder what God's up to. What if I did, though? Like, what if 2023 was shaped so dramatically by this that in the places of frustration and of pain, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be flippant about it. There's real pain and heartache and really hard things. But what if I looked at that and said, ooh, I wonder if that's where God is working? Because my default is like, it's clearly not working. I got a better 
plan, strategize, become a better leader, have more fortitude, get more done, get up earlier, stay up later, send more emails, like whatever it happens to be. And what if God is inviting me simply to yield? And he's inviting you to yield. Say, Lord, may your will be done. It's not about my kingdom. And what if he gave us new eyes to see, oh, yeah, that's not going according to our plan. But that does not mean that God is not working. What if it's actually in those places that he's working? And so a directional focus. And lastly, a provisional focus. God invites us. He is our Father in heaven. He cares about us. He is inviting us, friends, to ask him for things. And if this is not to say, well, this is the template. If you ever go to God before like revering his name and thanking him for who he is and giving him glory and you go right into request that somehow he's not going to listen to you. That's not true. But I do think it gives a, it's interesting to look at how it's laid out. Let's start with a big picture of this community God's building, who he is, all right? Praying for his will to be done, rightly orienting us. And then we're in a heart posture to bring to God our specific things. And so let's look for just a moment at this, these provisional requests. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not a call to pray and ask for things even tomorrow or the next day or the weeks out or the months or years. And it's not to say we shouldn't plan and strategize, but it's this reminder. It's part of the Exodus story. It's God's people being led to the promised land, but they're out in the wilderness and God says, do you trust me right now? Do you trust that there'll be manna in the morning? That there will literally be bread scattered across the ground? And if you try and hoard it, and you try and store it up, it'll rot, it'll get maggots in it, it's going to be disgusting. But if you take enough for the day, there'll be enough the next day. And that day, if you take enough for your family, for you, your friends, whatever, there'll be enough. Do you trust that I'm going to provide? Give us this day our daily bread. I love the way Jesus, just it's one chapter later in the book of Matthew, describes it. And he's talking about our earthly fathers and heavenly fathers. And he's saying, hey, some of you are parents. Like, let me ask you a question. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? <clears throat> or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, Jesus clearly not interested in building our self-esteem, right? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is who we're asking. He's not trying to play a trick on you. He's not laughing like, ha-ha, here's a serpent. You wanted bread, <laughs> right? Like that's not his disposition. How much more? The late theologian, Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, is not this one of the most wonderful things in the whole of scripture, that the God who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, the God who is forming his eternal kingdom and will usher it in at the end, the God to whom the nations are built as the small dust of the balance, that such a God should be prepared to consider your little needs and mine, even down to the minutest details in this matter of daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. A provisional focus. Lord, give me bread. Give me what I need. Forgive me when I mess up. Repair the relationship. Like that's what this is talking about, right? This is not a prayer that you need to be justified again and again every time you mess up. Oh, I've lost my salvation. No, you can't lose it. Jesus loses none, okay? 
what is happening here in this prayer, like we ask for forgiveness so that the relationship can be repaired. Hard to imagine, I know, but sometimes I'm a jerk to my family, right? Um, sometimes I'm not kind to my wife or my daughters. Um, and I have to go to, like if I go to my wife and say, will you forgive me for messing up, for saying this or being mean or taunting you after the Michigan game, whatever it was, right? Like, um, like if I do that, I shouldn't talk, we lost. Anyway, okay, so, um, but if I do those things, right, and I go to her and I ask for forgiveness, she doesn't say, yes, okay, now let's call another pastor over because we got to get married all over again, right? Like, no, like to do that would be mis- what Jesus is saying. Like, that's misunderstanding our justification. Like, no, you're married once, right? But when we engage in that and there's that process that there's a repair that happens to the relationship. That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, ask the Lord. You're going to mess up. God knows it. And so when you come and confess it, not catching him by surprise. Like, oh, I didn't catch that. I didn't see that. I didn't know that you did that. But it's, it's repairing the relationship so that you might experience more deeply the forgiveness of God so you can be somebody that extends grace and forgiveness to others. Ephesians 4, Paul says it this way. This gets at it. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Like when we sin, it grieves the heart of God. It disrupts things, right? There's some repair that needs to happen. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and then be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, that's the call. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And where's the resources for that? You remember that God has forgiven you, okay? Lastly, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a confusing phrase in many ways, because James chapter 1, 13 to 15, will tell us that, no, you're tempted by your over-desire, your evil desires. The Lord doesn't tempt us. So what this language is getting at is saying, Lord, lead us not into this ultimate trial that would lead me to be tempted to abandon you, to not trust you. It's like, protect me from the ultimate trial. Deliver us from evil. There is a real battle. And so it's, it's crying out and asking for that. And here's the wonderful good news, that Jesus was the one who dealt with the ultimate trial. Jesus was the one who surrendered to the will of the Father, who drank the cup of the Father's wrath so it wouldn't be poured out on you. He is the one who's delivered us, as Paul would write in Colossians 1, in this, this, this middle of this prayer in verses 11 to 14, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. You have been delivered. Jesus has done it. He has accomplished it all. And so church, here's what I want to do as we close. All right. Said at the beginning, the focus for the year, like it's Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. We want to continue to make Jesus the focus. And my prayer is that this, the Lord's prayer would be a a habit. It would be part of our rhythm and liturgy. So you don't have to join in this, but I want to put this before you us together, our Father in heaven, that we would attempt to pray the Lord's Prayer one time per day in the month of January. And if you're like, well, I missed today. Well, sorry, God doesn't love you anymore. No, that's not true, right? Like, like there's this freedom, but, but what if you set a reminder on your phone 
right? He said, hey, remind me at such and such a time. I, I won't say how to activate the reminder because all of our devices will go off right now, but you know what I mean? Like, do that sort of thing and pray it. And yeah, you can pray it at deeper, if you got time, but you can also probably in 30 seconds, like, pray. And let's just see how it begins to seep into us. Because the whole thing is about Jesus from beginning to end. He's the one who makes us an hour, a community. He's the one who allows us to have a relationship with the Father. He's the one who makes us sons and daughters because of who he is as the ultimate son. Are we seeing that in here, that we now can hallow, we can worship God because Jesus has given us access to that, that Jesus in the garden said, not my will, Father, but your will be done, and he drank the cup of wrath so that you and I wouldn't have to. That's what this is all about. He says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. And then he showed up in flesh and blood and said, I'm the bread of life. That's what Jesus has done. Forgive us our debts. He's the one who has forgiven us so that we can now forgive other people. We can live out the will of God because Jesus has perfectly obeyed and lived out the will. We can pray this, lead us not into temptation. And we know that we are not beholden to an enemy that is going to be victorious, but one who has already been defeated by the resurrection of Jesus. That's what this prayer invites us into. And so friends, for the next couple of minutes, the worship team is going to come back up and we'll continue with communion in a moment. Um, but I'm going to put some prompts on, on the screen. I just want to give you moments of just a, a few moments in silence. All right. So this first one, um, I, I will read it aloud. Um, you'll, you'll know that that we're into the next section. But would you quiet your hearts right now and take a moment and pray silently where you're at right now, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just think about those words, meditate on those words, offer up whatever prayers come to mind in light of this. But take a moment now and pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Take a moment to pray through these words. Give us this day our daily bread. Bring before the Lord right now what is it that has you may be feeling anxious or stressed or worried about and surrender, to, surrender it to him. Ask him to provide for you.
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And a freedom that comes in the gospel, confess before the Lord, where do you need forgiveness? Where does repair need to happen? And allow him through the Holy Spirit to minister to you in those places. And where do you need to seek forgiveness from others? Where do you need to offer forgiveness to others? Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Ask that the Lord might minister to you in the trials and the difficulties. Be reminded that you will not be overcome by them because Jesus has already overcome the world. church would you direct your eyes look at the screen and let's pray these words together in conclusion for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever amen